Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. As always, I'm very excited to be able to bring to you an incredible interview. Unfortunately, I was not able to be able to do this one. My our my my great friend and co-host Brandon Stiver was able to have a great conversation. I'm Phil Dark, for those of you who don't know, and Brandon and I love what we get to do. So Brandon, how are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. We uh Yeah, I just got back from Kansas City, uh as we yeah. as as we had talked about in our last episode, uh and got mm-hmm. to uh got to enjoy. I I miss though, as as I was just finding out. You said brisket and I got pulled pork. Uh but the 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 worst thing actually worse than that is um well, this might be this might be too much information for our listeners, but uh, I also ate at the La Quinta, you know. Sorry, La Quinta, oh. but man, I ate at your breakfast and it did not agree with me. So mm. yesterday was spent with a lot of Pepto Bismol. Uh, okay, but uh, other than that, you know, I'm doing okay. Starting to feel a little bit better. So well, folks, for a couple reasons, I hope you follow the advice of our uh, guests. Better than Brandon <laughs> followed my advice on food in Kansas City. Yes. So, and if you're in Kansas City, you know, grab brisket, burnt ends, beef side of things. Uh, pulled pork, I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was fantastic. I'm sure it, it tasted good. great. The barbecue sauce was good and it's good, but it's just not the same. Okay. Thing. But that's okay. Brisket. Because you know what? That's not why people are coming. This isn't a food podcast. No. Now, as I'm sure you know, we could talk that. food. I'd probably be, I'd probably be okay just with the travel and I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, I'm not really a foodie per se, but I like food. I like eating. Um, and if it was barbecue, I could probably do some of that. Heart eight down in Texas for those of you in Texas, you know what I'm talking about. Heart eight is fantastic stuff. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation that we could go on. We're not going to do that today. So, but you get, you, you spent some good time down there and had some good meetings and that's, that's, you know, what it's really about. Yeah. That was what was, very you know, it important. was good. So, there was, there was a group of pastors that were getting together. Um, we had Francis Chan on the last episode. He was speaking, um, uh, at this, at this pastor's gathering. And I'll just say, you know, I do want to mention, um, I, I did get to meet a few different pastors and talk with them about the importance of ethical orphan care and, uh, the importance of family, you know, some of these things that we that we talk about. Um, one person that I got to meet, um, that wasn't like the person you'd be like, oh, this is so influential person or anything like that. But I met a young lady, um, who is from the Ukraine and, um, got to actually, uh, connect with this young lady, um, hear her story, hear what God was doing Mm -hmm. in her life and also pray for her. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. I, this at this time of recording the interview was done yesterday today phil and i are recording on march 3rd um and uh it's it's a tough situation over there and um the the opportunity to pray for this young lady um was probably the most important thing that i could have done there you know Um, because the situation in ukraine is is hard um it's sad it's tragic it's violent um it is um it's going to lead to families falling apart um, you know, these things that we want to address that God is calling us into these spaces. We have friends there that are Ukrainian. We think about our friends at the Ukraine without orphans, which started this whole global movement, friends of ours at yep. world without orphans. Um, so that, that was, you know, uh, going from barbecue to that, you know, it might be a little, uh, quick, uh, jump, but 
we definitely want to just communicate that we are thinking and praying for um, the Ukraine at this time and this uh, terrible uh, invasion that's taking place. And, uh, you know, we, yep. my, my wife put our little sign, you know, in the window of our house, let's pray for Ukraine. So that's, that's, that's what we want to be Absolutely. doing. Well, and, you know, I'll say it, I, I saw Peter Greer wrote something about this as well. And Life Song for Orphans, Lifeline, Children's Services doing stuff in Romania and Ukraine and Poland. And because most of the refugees are going to Poland and Romania, if you weren't aware of that. So I have on my, and World Without Orphans Europe has updates. Ruslan Malusha, actually, who is the founder of, you know, one of the founders of World Without Orphans and was the first director of World Without Orphans, um, lives in Kiev. And he had to evacuate with his family. And, and he has, he's giving updates. I mean, not real time per se, but daily updates. If you're interested in receiving those, go to World Without Orphans, WWO Europe. Uh, Facebook page and there have those there. You're a, if there's a public page. There's also a private page. If you know, if you're listening to this, you should be on that to get those updates as well. Um, so you can be praying real time with your, with your families and your church and your friends about what's really going on. Cause if you're watching the news, you're not getting the, the full story. You're, you know, you're not hearing about the church and what they're doing and where they're suffering. As we were talking about before we recording, I, I was at a thing on Sunday night with the Ukrainian pastor there and he reminded me, you know, something we might not be thinking of, of we need to pray for the Russian church too, because it's our brothers and sisters are in all, you know, all these countries and they're all hurting and they're all struggling because it's not like, you know, I remember back in the eighties the when I was a kid and I remembered we hated Russia, right? Like we hated the whole, it didn't matter. Like if we were a little kid in elementary school, you were evil, right? You were the evil empire. And then I met people. I went to Ukraine. And I met people in Russia that were behind the Iron Curtain that were, you know, that are amazing, incredible people. And now some of my great friends, people I consider great friends in the world. And I think of Ruslan, I think of Oleg, I think of Rai, I think of these different people and, and great Russian friends too. I think of, you know, actual people who I've shared meals with, who I've had in my home, who I've been in their homes. And I go, man, there are people who are incredible, amazing people who are in the middle of battle, literal battle. Their home just got bombed. Their, their, you know, local deli just got bombed by a missile. Like this isn't some little suicide car bomb, whatever. This is full scale war that is going on. And it's not just in Ukraine, by the way. I mean, it's in other countries too. I remember a post by a, you know, friend Eugene show today talking about other conflicts, other wars going on around the world. So to truly, folks, this isn't, now people are starting to get, oh my gosh, it might be World War III. So we actually, people in America care. This is stuff that we should care about every day. These are our brothers and our sisters. The church is caught in the middle of it. The church is being persecuted in these countries and it's going to get worse in that regard. And now like there's literal missiles being fired into civilian neighborhoods, into, you know, restaurants, into uh, government buildings into oil refineries, into these other things that are, it's going to have massive repercussions in the lives of the, even if it stopped today. I mean, millions and millions of people have already gone to other countries yeah. to live as refugees. So yeah. I say all that, not, you know, look, this is, we're about this real stuff. So on my Facebook page, if you go to, you know, Phil Dark, I have, the links to Lifeline, Children's Services, Life Song for Orphans, and uh, World Without Orphans. World Without Orphans 
has a matching grant right now. It probably will still be going on to help Ukraine. If you want to give to this, I, I mean, I'm sure, you yeah. know, other, other organizations, but I wholeheartedly unequivocally recommend giving to them because they're going to give 100% of whatever you give to them for Ukraine to stuff on the ground that they've been there before this happened. They'll be there after this happens. They care and love these people and they'll know where it needs to go. World Without Orphans is going to distribute it amongst the different partners throughout uh, Europe. And so if this is your heart, be praying, number one, continually like real hardcore prayer. Be, you know, in solidarity with our brothers and sisters over there. Give whatever you can give to help out your brothers and sisters over there. And I wouldn't ask if I wasn't doing it myself, folks. So, so please do that because it's something that is, if it's ever needed, it's needed now. And these are, these are, I mean, if you watch, as I've said on my post and on Facebook and other places, if you want to learn about servant leadership, watch Zelensky over there, you know, see him suiting up, you know, he had offers to leave, you know, to, to take refuge in the U S he said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. Like, look, whatever you feel about war, that's leadership. He's saying, if I'm going to ask other people to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live here and I'm going to, I'm, I, I am need to protect and I'm going to go to battle with these people I'm asking to go to battle. Mm. And in leadership, when we talk about stuff in our organization, sorry, I'm on a soapbox no, right no, now, man, but this, this is, is stuff good. that's important. This is, this is what matters in our world. And if we didn't talk about this here on this show, then I'd feel like, what are we doing yeah. here? Right. And so look, if you're leading something, if you're not willing to go into battle with your people and what you're talking about, then you got to question whether you should be leading. And so in literal battle or metaphorical battle, right? So whatever that looks like, are you going in the trenches? Are you doing that with your people? If, if you're not, you know, and I'm not saying you always have to be, I mean, he's usually not doing that, but when it's that time for battle, are you going to go in? Or are you going to bail? And unfortunately, most of our leaders in the world bail and they go into a bunker or they go and they exile somewhere. They go somewhere else where they don't have to be in the middle of it and they'll lead quote unquote lead from afar. But I'll tell you what, that dude's gained so much respect from me. And as I posted on LinkedIn, I said, look, that guy, as more I learn about him, the more I respect him. And I said, strive to be the leader that makes other leaders think that about you. Yeah. Well said, man. Yeah. So, so anyway, so we, we were praying for Ukraine. Um, you know, like I said, we're recording this on March 3rd and this is a, this is kind of like daily updates here. You know, we have seen a million people, you know pour into other countries. We have seen over 400 civilian deaths, right? So this is a, this is a bad situation. We're going to continue to follow it. And we're also going to see what, it, what, what effect does this have on the rise in orphanhood or the rise in family mm -hmm. breakdown? You know, these things that we're talking about on this podcast, because what we've seen, and we talked about this a lot last season, right? With these different conflicts that happen in the world, orphans and vulnerable children are regularly those that are most, uh, most affected right negatively affected by by these things so we'll keep uh on following this and and even see if we can maybe get somebody on that can come and talk with us about the effects uh that this uh invasion you know it's a conflict but it's an yeah. invasion you know it's not just like That's it's right. not just like this is a lot i don't know if for those that follow geopolitics you know since the end of world war ii most conflicts are internal Right. The, the, mm -hmm. A lot of them are civil wars between this group and that group where they're fighting for internal control. We do not normally see invasions one country right. into the other like what we're seeing right now and what Russia has done to the Ukraine. 
So uh, please, this is a, this is a whole other beast. You know, there are huge conflicts going on, and that's why we wanted to talk about this, right? Why we talked yeah. about Ethiopia, yep. why we talked about gang violence in El Salvador, why we talked about um, uh, Myanmar, right? Uh, but those are largely internal. This is a whole other beast right now. So we need to be mm -hmm. praying uh, mm -hmm. for Ukraine. We need to be praying for Russians. Uh, and we need to be praying uh, for an end to this violence. So uh, yeah. thank you, Phil, for for that. Um, you know, I do kind of want to switch gears just as I'm watching uh, yep. the time because we do have a fantastic uh, guest and I don't want to give her too much uh, too much uh, intro. Uh, but just to say that we have Jamie Finn coming on. Uh, we're not talking about Ukraine with her. <laughs> she is a fantastic <laughs> individual, though. Um, who I greatly appreciated getting the chance to talk with her. You know, over the last um, several months, we focused a lot on global orphan care, which is great because Think Orphan is is the spot on the podcasting world, especially from a faith-based uh, standpoint where you can get that. But you know what? Mm -hmm. Within global orphan care, we also have fostering and adoption. So it was great to catch up with Jamie Finn. Uh, we have, uh, as Phil mentioned, he wasn't able to be on this particular interview, but uh it was it was just such a such a pleasure to sit down with Jamie um, and learn about her background, learn about the things that she's seeing in foster care and adoption, and also learn from her experience as a as a as a mother, as a writer, and as an advocate for for kids that are in foster care. So, uh, without further ado, uh, let's jump into this interview that I was able to conduct with Jamie Finn. Well, uh, Jamie Finn, uh, it is a pleasure to uh, welcome you to the Think Orphan podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with someone who's so like-minded in the way that we're thinking about kids and families. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, and we were just kind of uh, not reminiscing, so to speak, but more just kind of uh, recognizing lots of different people that that we know that are that are passionate about kids and family, passionate about supporting uh, foster, adoptive, and and reunified families. And uh, so this is so this is fun. So so we're so glad to have you on. You know, Jamie, I would love to just kind of uh, give you some space to introduce yourself to uh, to to our audience. Can you just share uh, with our audience a little bit about your story and and what drew you into foster care? Sure. Yeah. So I am the director of Foster the Family, which is an organization that serves foster families and children. We serve them practically through bringing all the supplies that a child needs immediately after a child is placed in the home. But that's sort of our in <laughs> our foot in the door, because what we really care about is building with them, bringing them into community education and empowering. And so we love to be able to serve people practically so that they can become a part of our network where we can really serve them holistically. I am also the author of the book, Foster the Family, and share about my life as a foster and adoptive and biological parent at Foster the Family on social media accounts. And yeah, that's who I am, a foster and adoptive and biological mom. We have five children right now, two biological, two adopted through foster care and one foster child. And then we always have 
an empty spot. We're capped in New Jersey at six kids. So wow. <laughs> we say we have four to six kids, depending on, on when you ask. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I love and, and unfortunately we often overlook it is uh, mentioning the bio kids, yeah. you know, sometimes <laughs> we're just in these conversations and we're like, like when I introduce myself, I'm an adoptive father. So I'll say like, I'm an adoptive dad, you know, but I'm also a bio dad, you know, sure. and, and the fact that we adopted actually has such a tremendous uh, impact even on our bio kids. So, so I'm, I'm so grateful that you, uh, that even as you're building this ministry around how to work with foster and adoptive families, you're including the fact that these families also have uh, their own kids through birth. Um, and and I just, I, I love the ministry. I've enjoyed getting to get into a number of your readings uh, on, on Foster the Family blog. And um, I mean, you also have kind of built this nonprofit and you were kind of alluding to it a little bit. Can you can you tell us a little bit about even the work of the nonprofit that you set up and, and, and the work that you're that you're doing there as you're engaging with these different families? Sure, sure. Well, you just hinted at it. I mean, it is taxing on every member of the family to welcome a foster child and more than that, like the system into your home. And so I became very aware of that as a foster parent myself. We've been foster parents for about eight years. And so the needs that we experienced and the lack of support, even though we were surrounded by people who cared about us, there was no one who really knew how to do that. There was no one who could help us in navigating all of this stuff that was really new to us. And so I became very aware of the needs that foster families face and very aware of the fact that, you know, half of foster families close their homes within a year. Now that is sometimes because I believe in eliminating the stigma of a once and done foster family. Like, great. If you are serving for a short time and that's what you did, and then it's time to move on, that is honorable and beautiful. That's not why most families are closing their homes though. It's typically a lack of support, a lack of education, um, even a lack of understanding what they're getting into to begin with. And so just super aware of how hard it is to be a foster family. And as people got to know my kids and got to see how ordinary we are, like there is nothing special about us, but they saw how we were on this mission. The people around me began to jump into foster care too. And as I watched them, I realized, oh, I can provide support to them the way that nobody in my life was able to do this for me and began to really become very aware of just how hard this is, just how much help people need and began to meet needs organically, began to gather parents together in providing support. And from there, it formalized from there. It was like, okay, how do we make this a real thing? How do all these people who say to me, I've always wanted to be a foster parent, but it never played out. I wish there was something I can do like, okay, let's give you something that you can do. And so we began, um, a number of thriving support groups in our community 
where parents were coming and really just receiving support and education. And like I mentioned before, just a lot of practical help. So we're showing up immediately after a child shows up with all the clothing they need, with a meal for the family, with a phone number of a foster parent that they can call with their questions or their tears. And from there have begun to expand to other locations. So we now serve New Jersey, DC, Baltimore. We have 15 support groups around the country. That number is multiplying this year. The ways that we've been able to see families receive support and community here, I am just jealous for that to happen all over. And I just want, I want every foster parent to feel like if this is what they are on the journey and they feel like they should be on this journey, that they are resourced, that they are cared for, that they have a community around them. Um, and so I'm really passionate about bringing that to anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's, I, at one point I was working in foster care in California and I was working for a, for a foster family agency and, uh, they, 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 I coming from a missionary background, this was a community-based organization, but they basically, you know, what, what was that? When you, when you tell your dog to sick them, like they, they told me to sick them on the church engagement front. Right. <laughs> ah, that's so, good. so, uh, so I, uh, I was going around to all these different, uh, churches and sometimes I would be able to preach. Sometimes I would just table, but it was all about this recruitment, right? Recruiting foster parents. And I did recruit some foster parents. It was a good thing. You know, these were people that God was calling into this space. Um, and at the same time, I probably had even more conversations with people that would come up and said, oh, well, I used to foster, you know, mm. uh, a lot more of those. And, mm. and, and I appreciate kind of the lens that you put on that. Like, Hey, sometimes people are just called to do it for a year, but yeah. you're right. We also have uh, most people, well, I don't know. I don't have data on this, but I would say it seems like a lot of people are envisioning themselves doing it for longer, but they get that first placement and it's yeah. challenging Yep. and we don't retain them. They burn out, you know, whatever you want to call that. So you know, what did it look like for you and, and your husband when you guys decided that you guys were going to enter this world of foster care? Like what compelled you? And then, you know, eight years in now, so you didn't, you didn't burn out, you know, with, yeah. you, with your first placement or in your first year or whatever. Um, what were those things specifically for you guys um, that, that kind of kept you? So what compelled you in and what kept you there uh, for, for several years now? Sure. I felt so compelled to spend up my life for what was going to matter. That, that was a drive that I've had for a long time. And I read the book radical by David Platt and that messed me up. And I was like, okay, we, there's something that we should be doing to be spending up our lives, using our yeah. home and family to serve others. And my husband was not feeling the same way. <laughs> he was <laughs> that happens not, sometimes. no, he was not excited at all, but he, while I tend to be a person of passion, he's a man of conviction. Mm. And so while he was not feeling it, I said, I'm feeling this and let's go to God's word and let's figure out what he's calling us to do. If it's not foster care, 
it's something. So let's figure out what it is. And so for him, it was really like a faith filled sacrificial, like this is my sacrifice of praise to step into this. And I mean, he jokes, like it still is, it's not like he's come to love it. And he has more reason now to hate it than he did before, because before it was just like, Oh, kids and families. And now we're so aware of the system and the workers and the judges and for him, it is, it is such a sacrificial act of worship to God. And I think that both of those things are part of what have kept us. I mean, it is still hard and I still have to have an eternal perspective. I mean, that is the biggest thing that keeps me is just, I have this one life to spend. I'm surrounded by these people who are worth it, families who are worth it. I have this one chance to do this work that's worth it. So I think that's like my super spiritual sort of thing. But that is huge for me. That foundational why is the biggest piece for me. I think the how, that's where organizations like Foster the Family, I, you know, just this support and community is a huge piece of it. I think understanding secondary trauma, uh, understanding true self-care, I write about it in the book. I I didn't have an accurate perspective of self-care. You know, I think the world is like, go on trips and get pedicures. And then the church is like, life isn't about you, burn up for others. And, And it's like these two dichotomies where it's like, okay, but what actually does God say? What actually can we get from from scripture to provide wisdom for how we should be both taking care of ourselves and burning up our lives for others? And so I think really understanding what it looks like to take care of myself, to prioritize rest, to figure out how to love others well, but also like rest in God's love for me. And, and all of that has been a huge piece. And so I think it's both like the hyper-spiritual why, and also really practical house, really practical. Like this is what it's going to look like for this to be sustainable for me. Um, and both of those things are equally important. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love that. And, um, I'm, I'm reminded, I, I know a mutual friend of ours is Jen Hook, where she talks about her, the, the replanted model where it's like, mm-hmm. you need all these different fronts, right? You need the, the water, the soil and mm. the sunlight, right? And it's, mm. you need the information. You also need the relationship, you know, you have to have like this kind of multifaceted, uh, uh, you know, go at how to maintain, right. And, and the spiritual side, as well as the physical and relational side, all of those things are important. So you know, and in, in your, in your time as a, as a foster and adoptive parent, I mean, eight years in, um, you know, what would you say are some of the main lessons, uh, for you and for your family? Like, like, yeah. How, what, what would be some of those things for maybe somebody that's starting off, you know, what have you learned, uh, this many years down the road? Sure. Well, I'll say that a lot of, it is a lot of learning because it's been a, a lot of really dramatic perspective shifts. You know, I got into foster care thinking 
There are these poor children who have been abused and neglected and they have these terrible parents and they're going to come to me and I can finally show them what love is. They can finally experience the love of a family. Well, (laughs) that came with this arrogance and saviorism and lack of understanding and compassion for these families who deeply love their children and are deeply touched by the pervasiveness of trauma and addiction and mental health. And it's been a very dramatic shift for me from let me rescue all the kids to What does it look like for me to step into the stories of broken families and love people well and see the whole family unit? And for me, it had to begin with a really theological perspective that God created the family and it is sacred to him. So if I start there rather than starting from, oh, these kids are hurt and I get to come save them it changes everything. So now I'm stepping into something that God created that he loves and that's been broken by sin. Well, now it's just adopting God's perspective of bringing redemption and restoration and being a part of what Jesus came to do, which is heal what sin broke. So I am not going to be the one to save it, but God is about redeeming and restoring these relationships. I get to be sort of like the hands and feet here and play a part in redemption and restoration. So that has been a dramatic shift for me from you come into my life. I'm going to make you better. Hopefully you can stay forever to, oh no, I get to step in here and I get to to be a part of what God is doing. No, I I love that, Jamie. And I I feel like often we default to these very simplistic kind of views Mm -hmm. of what's going to happen. And within child welfare spaces, a friend of mine, Ian talks about this, where we um, approach it from like a transactional standpoint. So we're saying like the kid is here. Now the kid's going here. And we kind of think it's like, like a plug and play kind of thing. And it's not that easy, not for the kids internally or for the environment that those kids are coming from. Right. When we talk about issues of abuse and, uh, generational things that are going on, poverty, like this is, this is incredibly complex. And, yeah. and I just, I, I would love to just underscore what you were saying there, as far as we're not stepping in to save, like we're stepping in to be a part of those kids story and, and hopefully help, you know, and, yeah. and, and that could be helping the kid for a temporary period of time. Well, you know, mom is working, you know, on, on, on getting him back, you know, going to whatever she needs to do while he also is in a safe space being Mm -hmm. loved by, by some other parents. I mean, uh, I I just, I just love the way that, that you put that and, and look, these things, they're just, they're very complex. They're very complex. And, and it's sometimes I feel like one of the reasons why people might be getting, um, getting, you know, burnt out is because, when that complexity hits them and they realize, oh, this isn't just, oh, I just brought the kid in and I was kind and I loved them and that yeah. solved everything. It's not that easy necessarily, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot more complexity. Yeah. Yeah. And along with that, I think, you know, I have adopted two children out of foster care. So I'm not like some anti adoption. That's not where I'm coming. But when, 
when we are operating within a system that is meant to reunify families and we come in with a goal of adoption, it is inherently frustrating to work within a system. You have a a clear role to play and that system is working in a way that your heart is not aligned with. Most of the foster parents that I've come to know who are frustrated and embittered and disappointed. Yeah, man, there are so many ways that this system is going to fail you, but it is not a failure of the system Mm. when a child is reunified with their parents. That is the system working the way it's meant to. And that we need to be aligned to that, or we are going to be constantly heartbroken and disappointed. Yeah. Well, I I just remember when I was working in, in foster care in California and, uh, we had a slate of foster parents uh, from our agency and we would get a lot that would come in and say, yeah, we want to adopt, which is awesome because kids need permanency and there are children that that's going to be their best option. The most valuable foster parents. And I don't want to like say one's more valuable than the other. That's probably not the right word to use, but we had some foster parents that like decades, right? 20, 30 years of fostering children that were in transit right and they didn't go into it saying you know we just we just want to adopt you know um i I think of this one couple that were just amazing and they were doing like intensive services foster care where they were like Mm. bringing kids with higher mental health needs Mm. they had their own tragedy story where their son was very ill from birth and passed away you know early on in life they had their own, like, they would have been like the ones that would have been like, Hey, we just, we just want to adopt a kid and, you know, and, and, and get it out of here, you know, kind of thing. But they year after year, this mm. couple, uh, Ray and Ann, I remember them, uh, mm. they were just bringing kids in, helping them on their path to reunification or even helping them on their path to permanency with another family. Right. So, so I, I, I just can't, uh, I can't agree with you more that the system when it works, I like what you said there. If reunification happens, that is evidence of the system working, not the system right. not working. Right. Uh, and I, I just, I just love that so much. So, you know, even along those lines, I mean, and you may have already said this to some degree, but if there was anything that you could tell, you know, your younger self, so you're, I don't know if you were with an agency or you're with a county or the state or whatever, but you're in that recruitment phase and you're getting approved or certified as like every single state has a different word that they use, but yeah. you know, you're getting licensed, you know, if there was anything that you could tell your younger self before you welcomed a child into your home, what would that be? Mm. Mm. Well, besides aligning everything that I just shared, sure. I think a huge piece for me was, you know, we often hear this idea of, I would get too attached And that was certainly a concern. We were worried about our hearts being broken. We were worried about our kids getting too attached, all of that. I think something that I've learned, it's funny because we want to be good at foster parenting right away because it's so important, but it's just like anything else in life. You jump in and you have to learn. You, you know, you're never like the best spouse you're going to be when you first get married. It's, it's learning through it. And so I've gotten to learn things that make it easier for me that I think make me a better foster parent. And that lesson for me has been to go all in with your heart, but to hold the reins on your mind. 
So, you know, we sometimes use that verse, like guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. But we see that verse is really in the context of your thinking. So that guard your heart is surrounded with a lot of words about knowledge and thoughts and understanding and beliefs and really it's a cop-out when we act like God wants us to sort of hold our emotions in check, that we should love less so that we don't get our hearts broken. I am a big believer in going all in with your heart, loving your kids with everything that you can, giving them every chance at healthy attachment that you can possibly give them. You know, these kids are already on a shaky foundation. As far as attachment, they have insecure attachments. Often they always have disrupted attachments. And so when we kind of do this whole, Oh, I don't want to get too attached. The greatest gift that we can give them is the gift of attachment. So we should be going all into that, giving them every piece of that, of our hearts, but holding tight reins on our mind on our thinking, on our planning, our daydreaming, our worrying. That's where I think foster care beats us. I think that's when we let our minds go to thoughts of anxiety and worry, thoughts of adoption before that time comes, when we are judging parents and workers, that's where we lose the battle. We don't lose the battle in our hearts. We lose it in our minds. And when I came to learn that was when I went from this, like, I'm barely surviving here to I'm thriving here as a foster parent. Yeah. And I I love that. And, you know, I, as I was preparing for this, I was going through uh, your blog. And uh, if you guys haven't checked out Foster the Family, it's a fantastic blog where Jamie has all sorts of wisdom and tried experiences and and connection with with other foster and adoptive parents. It, it's remarkable. You know, and when I was reading through that section where you're talking about the attachment piece and you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, this head and heart, you know, what, you know, how are we operating even like cognitively versus emotionally promoting attachment, but also, you know, I, I just love that, you know, one of the things that I've seen, and, and I don't know, even in kind of your thoughts, if there's a remedy for this, but that whole piece of, um, well, I couldn't go into foster care, like, like people use that type of, um, that type of a thought process, right. To basically disqualify themselves from stepping into that space. And a lot of it centers around the thing that you're talking about right now, where they say, Oh, I would just become too attached to the kid. I wouldn't be able to let them go Uh, almost. And what I would tell people would be like, that's not evidence that you shouldn't adopt or shouldn't foster. That's evidence that you should, because what you're saying is you have a capacity to love you have a capacity yeah. to bond and and to help a kid develop a stronger attachment and yeah. and yeah the the kid might be in your home temporarily right for a matter of months not years um but uh but that's actually evidence that that you have that capacity so i mean what have you been able to say and do to kind of support people that are looking at that thing that you just brought up around attachment and using it to potentially say, that's why I could not, you know, become a foster parent. Have, have you come across that yourself? And, and if so, you know, what are the things that, that you kind of work through with that person to kind of help them? 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to echo what you just said, which is it shows your ability to open your heart, not just your home, not just kids don't just need beds and homes. They need parents and families. It shows your ability to open your heart to a child who you didn't give birth to. And that is the special skill needed for foster care. It's not that I have some supernatural ability to shut my heart off. I do not have that ability. And if I did, I would not be a good foster parent. And so I think it is this just constant surrendering and entrusting ourselves to God. As foster parents, we have to be entrusting our children to God all the time that he is the one who writes their stories. He loves them more than we do. He is the one who can be with them when we're not with them. And we have to be doing the same thing for ourselves. We have to be entrusting our hearts to him and just believing that he will carry us, that he calls us and he will carry us through it. And heartbreak is a part of this. That is the reality. I mean, there are some people who, because of their trauma history or their own mental health, I mean, it is a fine thing to consider. Do do I have the capacity to be able to walk through this in a healthy way? I think when people are aware of oh no, because of what I've experienced or because of the way I may struggle with mental health or I'm not the person to jump into this. That's great. Know that about yourself. Look for ways to support those who can look for ways to build relationships with kids or, or vulnerable youth. Look for ways to partner vulnerable families before any sort of separation needs to happen. I think that there are clear answers for how we can get involved if we can't be foster parents. But for those of us who feel like, oh yeah, there's just going to be heartbreak involved here. We need to entrust, <laughs> entrust our hearts to God. And what I have experienced is a God who is faithful to provide what he calls us to. He has provided miraculous grace. And that doesn't mean he's taken away the pain. It means that he's carried me through the pain. He's sustained me through the pain. And we need to trust that our God, he calls us into hard things to scary things. And he loves us to be in a place of dependence on him. You know, we, we want to avoid weakness. We want to avoid pain. We want to avoid anything that brings us to our knees, but God loves those things that bring us to our knees because they bring us into surrender to him where then he can give us strength. He can be our comforter. So some of these things that we're avoiding are really opportunities for us to know him as father and comforter and savior in a deeper and more beautiful way. And that's where it becomes part of his good plan for us. Suffering is good for us when it draws us into deeper love and relationship with him. And that's been my experience. We said goodbye. It's March 2nd that we're recording this. Mm -hmm. March 5th is going to be a year that we said goodbye to our foster daughter after two and a half years. Wow. That is just, you are a sociopath. If you did not deeply fall in love with your child after two and a half years. Seriously. Yeah. So I am not someone who's saying like, oh, don't worry. It'll be fine. I'm yeah. saying 
it won't be fine. You will be wrecked and heartbroken and your God will be faithful to carry you through it. So here I am a year later saying this worst case scenario, deepest fear, strongest heartbreak. I am a year out of experiencing the goodness of my God, carrying me through the heartbreak of that. Ooh, Jamie taking me to church. (laughs) I love it. No, it's so good. And I love that encouragement piece because I mean, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, let's take this to the furthest conclusion that you can imagine. And you basically just took our whole audience there. Um, and whoo, all right. I like it. And, and, and to our listeners, you know, we're going to link Jamie's uh, blog. We're going to talk about the book here in a moment as well. Um, but if you guys, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm getting, I feel the spirit ministering right now, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, go and check out Jamie's blog. Uh, you know, Jamie, you've written extensively about fostering and adoption. Um, and even in this conversation, you've hit on some of these key themes for, for parents, you know, on that journey and, you know, one of the pieces, uh, in addition to this piece around attachment that we've been discussing, um, is is this talk about broken systems, right? We always mm-hmm. kind of hear that, like, oh, the systems are broken. But you kind of had another take on that in, in, in a more nuanced way and actually links back with, with what you're saying right now around heartbreak. But I'm just going to read this quote from, from one of Jamie's blogs. Sometimes foster parents say that the system is broken when actually they mean their hearts are broken. Sometimes, sometimes workers don't do what they're supposed to and resources don't service our kids the way that they should. And judges don't make the right decisions and attorneys don't even know what's going on. Uh, Sometimes the best interest of the child is ignored. And sometimes our hearts are broken only over the brokenness of it all. I just thought that that was so poignant because, you know, literally tonight I'm teaching my students at, at Vanguard on foster care in the US. And we're looking at the systems piece. And and I'm very much that kind of like analytical, like, let's look at, you know, let's look at how the system works. And how does this piece interact with that piece and all of that? And is very easy to come to basically almost any man made human made, you know, system and be like, Oh, there's some brokenness in here, right. But you're taking it to another level. So with that quote, can you can you just parse that out a little bit and and even just kind of share whatever further encouragement you might have for for parents as well as even practitioners in that space, right? Because, because our social workers, um, our agency workers are seeing that as well, right? And they're also getting burnt out. But um, yeah, can you just kind of uh, build on that a little bit more and share any encouragement you might have with our listeners when they come into those broken places? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, we have the example of our savior who was always drawn to brokenness. <laughs> I mean, our world is broken and that is why he came. And so what we often use as the excuse oh, it's this broken system, is that is the reason we engage. Christians should be engaging brokenness because we have this answer. We have the answer of Jesus. And so Jesus didn't hang out in the temples. He was with tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, the most broken. And so I think that that is like our invitation. We see brokenness as Christians. We should be like, oh, that's where we're supposed to be. That's where we're supposed to jump in. Um, So I think that that's the first piece is just that we don't use that as an excuse. We see that as an invitation. But then the other piece, I think, is that 
we can be looking for how our piece of it can be a little less broken. I mean, we can say forever, it's a broken system, or we can say, I am going to be a cog in this system that is not broken, that is going, you know, okay, the the division is not servicing this family the way that they need for reunification to happen here. Well, what does it look like for me personally to do all that I can to support reunification? You know, we look at research, we know that families, foster families, perspectives of biological families are enough. We see correlations between just the way we think about biological families to higher likelihoods of reunification, a better success after reunification. So, okay, yeah, maybe the system isn't servicing this family well, but I'm going to. I'm going to come in and make my piece a little less broken. Maybe the worker isn't on top of things. I'm going to be advocating. And I think that the more that we zone in on our piece in this and what it looks like to be faithful to our piece and entrust the rest to God, the more all of these Christians engaging in a broken system and making their peace a little less broken, it is going to become less broken. And so see that as an invitation and, and jump in. I love it. Yeah. Bring, bring restoration into those broken places, right? Uh, especially that restoration that's going to help kids, uh, you know, it's just remarkable. So you have these, uh, uh, I mean, how many years have you been blogging now, Jamie? I really don't know. I will say way too early. So (laughs) I, I had a post go viral after my first placement. And so it's been really a gift because I've been learning out loud. You know, I've been like stumbling and struggling and teaching what I've learned and I've gotten to learn in front of people. And so, yeah, now I'm like Miss Foster Care. But when I first had people listening to me, they should not have been listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think if you were to yeah, rewind me, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, I I, I would say the same. So uh, but after these uh, years and years of blogging, you've now completed a book, which is awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about about the book and, and, and what led you to writing it and also what you hope readers uh, get out of it as they get into not foster family, the blog, but foster family, the book. Yeah. Thanks. I will say that what led me to write it and my experience go hand in hand. I was confident that God's word spoke to this journey of foster care. I knew it. And yet no one was helping me get there. And it wasn't straight in my face. So the words foster care are not in the Bible. There is no specific advice for foster parenting. And my pastors who know and love God's word don't know and love foster care. And so they had no way to direct me into God's word for all of this. And so it was born out of what I just shared, which is I'm learning. I don't know what this looks like to do in a way that glorifies God, that loves families, that submits everything to his word. But I know that God's word is living and active. I know that he cares about how I do this. And so I am just going to spend every morning fighting for truths from God's word that apply to this journey. And that is really what this book is. It's the fruit of me 
stumbling and struggling. It's me wrestling with God. It's me tasting and seeing how God is good. And so foster care isn't in the Bible, but there's a lot about loving people. There's a lot about brokenness. There's a lot about the gospel and going into broken places. There's so much wisdom in every page. And when we believe that God's word is the foundation and the truth, and we just keep going to it with each problem, each new situation, we see how specifically it actually applies to very real life practical circumstances. So things like how am I wrestling through visits? Well, I, I don't know. So let me go to God's word. Let me see. And then in God's word, I'm seeing all these beautiful truths about how he's with my children when I can't be with them, that he can speak to them in secret places and comfort them in ways that I couldn't, that he's for them and loves them. And well, these things actually minister to my heart in the moment when I'm sending my kiddo into a jail to meet their dad for the first time in handcuffs and orange jumpsuit. Like, well, if I believe these things that God is with them, like they don't need me. They don't need me to hold their hand when they actually have the God of the universe with them. And that actually changes things. These kind of up here, abstract Bible verses, they have feet to them when we apply them to real life circumstances. And so I've found God's word to carry me through the past eight years. And it's taken a lot of doing the wrong thing, believing the wrong way, and God being faithful to show me differently in his word. And I wanted to come alongside other foster parents who love God, love their kids, and are just like, how do I do this in a way that is going to be just driven by God's word. No, I love it. I, I just, uh, so, so thankful that you are coming at it from that theological standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, once upon a time, and now I'm like revisiting some of this content, but I had written a book when I was in Tanzania and it was specifically looking at that theological piece. We should compare some notes, Jamie. I would love to, yeah, yeah. yeah for real. <laughs> but, uh, but I just love that realizing that scripture has practical implications for foster and adoptive families. And especially if we are going to be in this for the long haul, mm. however many years down the road, right. And you and I are both multiple years down the road on this foster and adoptive journey. And, uh, we have to have that input from scripture as well as those, um, practical insights, um, you know, so it's just beautiful. So, uh, the book is foster the family, um, and it released last month, right? It did. Yep. Yes. It's a couple weeks old. Okay. All right. So, so fresh off the press would definitely encourage all of our listeners to go out and grab the book. Uh, and Jamie, I just have a couple questions for you that we ask all of our guests. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I love, right. I love these, these like, all right. <laughs> these fun, are the, let's yes. go. We, yeah. we are, we are all about a uh, word of mouth and uh, spreading, spreading the news of good resources out there. So mm -hmm. what have you watched, uh, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children, as well as families with excellence? Hmm. Well, before I became a foster parent, the one main resource that I had of this like gospel centered perspective of foster care was Jason Johnson. Oh, yeah. And now he's a very good friend of mine and we're like ministry partners, but his book 
uh, reframing foster care is similar to mine in in its perspective, but he's coming more as a pastor. So I am like in the trenches with you as a mom, this is what it's looked like for me to learn this. And here's how I'm applying it with my children. He comes with a pastoral heart. And so I think if you want to explore this idea more of gospel centered parenting and applying God's word to gospel, uh, to foster care, Jason Johnson is a great resource there. And then I, Along with this really theological view, I'm also, I'm a TBRI practitioner. I'm very passionate about trauma-informed parenting and education. And so I am, I'm a TBRI girl. I am all in for the connected child, the connected parent. Connected parent is written by another good friend of mine, Lisa Qualls. And this is like, okay, we want to love these kids well. We need to come with the understanding of how their brains and bodies and beliefs have been changed by the things that they've experienced. And it's not as simple as bring me all the kids and I'll love them. Like, okay. But when they are, you know, as happens to me on a weekly basis, trying to physically hurt you and saying, you're not my real mom and trying to run away. And there's the police involved and okay. What does it look like to love kids there? Cause it's not as simple as Jesus tells me to love people. Like, okay, let's learn how to love them where they are with all that they've been through. So those are, those are my go-tos. If, if you haven't read the connected child and parent and you're caring for kids who've experienced hard things, start there. Yeah, no, that's so good. Yeah. Connected child before we adopted, that was, that was the book that was given to us. And I yeah. still go back to it. I mean, yeah, I can't go wrong with Karen Purvis, Jason Johnson and Lisa Qualls have both been on the show. So we'll, we'll link back as, as they share about their own work. Jason is, uh, also a, a prolific blogger as well as, yeah. as you, Jamie. And, uh, I'm actually on a call with him later today. So uh, oh, he's, tell him I said hi. I'll tell him you said hi. Jason's Jason's just a fantastic and, and he's so genuine and he's such a he real is. deal. He's so, such a good friend. Uh, all right. So last question. What person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love uh, orphan, vulnerable children and foster children with excellence? Yeah. I mean, I have to go back to my number one who was the catalyst for me getting into this. And that's David Platt. Because while he might not be talking all the practicals of this, um, and he sees through a wider lens of just global poverty and people coming to know the gospel, I think that that is what I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. I, this is gospel work and that is why I do it. This is, you know, it's very mundane. I'm changing diapers and bringing teenagers to camp and all of that. But the big picture is that this is gospel work. And that means at once that it's about people coming to know Jesus and that it's a part of bringing his gospel at bringing his kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven about, you know, it's not just, oh, Jesus loves vulnerable people. It's no, Jesus loves healing and restoration and wholeness and redemption. And when we jump into foster care, we are jumping into gospel work of bringing wholeness to what sin broke. So I feel like David Platt has taught me that he's given me passion for that. His preaching has given me uh, a sense of really knowing God's word and the gospel. And I, he's my number one. 
That's so good. No, I, I remember reading Radical a number of years ago, and uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, so 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 well uh, written and so compelling. You know, yeah. Uh, so that's that's. I felt amazing. like I can't just sit still after reading this, and no. so. I, I, if you're sitting still, read it, it'll wreck you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so good. Well, Jamie, this has been uh, so much fun and such a pleasure to have you on uh, Think Orphan Uh, and all the best. I would just, again, encourage all of our listeners to go out, uh, grab it on Amazon. The book is out now, Foster the Family. And uh, Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Brandon. What a sweet time. Thanks. Well, as I had mentioned in the intro, uh, Jamie is just uh, so full of experience and wisdom. You know, some of the things that I saw, you know, working in foster care, some of the things that I feel as an adoptive parent, it was one of those conversations where there was just a lot of resonance. Um, so just so appreciate uh, the time that I got to connect with Jamie. Uh, Phil, as you got to uh, listen as I tell my students, you know, there's an asynchronous recording that you need to get into. Uh, as you uh, were able to listen to that uh, recording of that uh, interview that I was able to do with Jamie, what do you think, man? What What are some of the things that kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, like she has so much experience as you do that I don't have, right? I mean, I I have never fostered, I've never adopted, I you know, and. And uh, we started the adoption process a long time ago. I have five biological kids. So I, I get the parenting woes and the things about the, the parenting highs and lows and excitement and difficulties and struggles. And you talk about connected child and, you know, you still got to connect in different ways with your biological kids. You know, as you know, you have both. And so, it, but it's different, right? You know, there, there's, there's some difference. And especially with foster care, some of the things that, that on that note really stuck out to me are things I talk to people all the time, just again, from talking to people. I've talked obviously with so many people about these things. We had the pleasure of, of interviewing all the different people she talked about, except for Dr. Purvis. We were never able to do that, unfortunately. But Lisa Qualls and, and Jason Johnson and, and all these other people, right, that, that I've had the, the pleasure, and I say that with, with every part of my being, the pleasure of being able to not only interview, but get to know, you know, and be able to talk with them about these, these topics. But even just to hear Jamie talk about things like the, the the difficulty of, of, of that are, that are inherent in foster care in particular, right? The, and when I teach my class and I get guest lectures on, on foster care in particular, that the better you do it, the harder it is if it's successful, right? And, and right where, Mm. where the better you bond and the better you dive in to a child's life, if it's successful and they are reunified with their family, that rips you apart at some level. As she said, you, you got to go in with all your heart, but hold the reins on your mind. And then she said, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're a, you've got to be a deep sociopath if you don't deeply fall in love with your child after two and a half years. Right. But with that yeah. good and high comes a difficulty and a low of we have to let them go if successful. Yeah. Right. And, and that's hard, right? That's, that's brutally, brutally hard. But then she said, which I think is, is, I don't know how you don't do this stuff without God, right. Without the relationship with Christ. But she said, God sustains us through the pain and gives us the ability to work through the pain and heartbreak. 
We want to avoid the things that bring us to our knees, but God loves those things because he can love us deeper when we draw closer to him through those times. And I say those things, like normally I don't do this in our post thing, but because I listened to it and I wasn't able to be a part of it, I wasn't able to talk about how cool this stuff was. And I'm glad I can't because look, if you didn't hear that stuff and what she was talking about, go back and listen. Whether you do foster care or not, to understand that you're going to be wrapping around people if you're doing this stuff well. You're going to be wrap around and wrapping around people who who are loving these children well and who are having this pain that they likely won't share with you because they're likely the type of people who would never share that with others because they don't want to burden you with it. But I guarantee they are in this point where, where it is painful and it is hard and it is brutally difficult. And I know my brother fostered for three years and he's now adopted one of the children who went through the foster care system. And and they did pour, and I did as just like an Uncle Phil, right? Like, I mean, I, I got it at a yeah. little glimpse, right? Where we bonded, we connected with these kids, and then they left the family, so to speak, right? I mean, and, and that's yeah. good because they went back with mom and dad, and are they doing it the same, and is it the level? We don't know, but that's not for us to worry. That's not our, mm. that's not for yeah. us to, to get into, right? That, that's, God has that for others. So anyway, like that is what, I really took away from it. And I think she also said, I'm saying, I'm not, I'm saying you won't be fine. Right. Like, like that that was really powerful to me. Right. Like, again, I have to live vicariously through you and through, through her and others who are, who are going through this. And and she said, but God will be faithful to carry you through the heartbreak of it. That stuff that I want to hear from you, just what it, as you're hearing her, I'm sure some of it's like, yes, yes. Amen. I get you. Yes. You know, and, and, um, and then also to say, as she said, you know, going to the system, cause people are like, I don't want to get involved in foster care cause the system's broken. But she said, yeah, it, it is a broken mm-hmm. system. And she says, we can say it's a broken system. She says, or we can be a cog in the system that's not broken. And I love that. Right. Like, cause that, yeah. that goes to everything yeah, yeah. we do, everything we talk about in this podcast, right? Everything is broken. So we can say it's broken, we shouldn't do it. Or we can say, no, it's broken, we need to make it better. How can we make it better? And how can we part of the solution and part of being the better, part of the shalom, part of the making all things new? What does that look like? And so anyway, I'm just going to throw that all out to you. Just a couple little things there. I don't know. But what do you think of it? And what do you think of just kind of my reaction to it? I mean, I don't know. Because I I, got to venture to say that a lot of the people listening are like me, where you're not actively in the midst of it, but you know, people who are, and you want to be able to support them. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what you, I mean, I assume you were kind of saying amen through the whole interview, but, uh, what do you think of what yeah. I just brought up? Well, I, yeah, no, absolutely. Amen. I mean, she, she actually blew me away to be honest. <laughs> and some of the insights that she had, even though, you know, she said, I've been doing this for eight years, you know, for us, we adopted our son over six years ago, right? So we're actually on a similar timeline, but some of the things that she was bringing out, I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, okay, yeah. Um, and even, you know, I was speaking with my students last night at, um, at Vanguard, and we were actually talking about foster care. Like that was like the unit that we were on, right? But that was our discussion for yeah. this week. And I had one of my students um, say, hey, we have this situation. It's here in California, right? I teach at a California university, um, um, even though I'm in Washington. Um, but, uh, you know, this is the situation, you know, we've been, um, my, my sister or cousin or someone has been fostering this boy for the last five years, entered as a baby, five years old. Dad is 
trying to, you know, get custody. And I just thought back to my conversation with Jamie earlier in that day, right? Because I recorded this yesterday with her. And even just kind of helping my student to like really grasp, like, just so you know, foster care is built for reunification as the priority, right? Um, and while some of those things are surprising, like a kid should not have their case open for five years without like permanency. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are broken pieces and we have to take into account the kid's best interest and all of that. But it was actually what she said was insightful. It was edifying from, from like a Christian sister, yep. you know, sharing, sharing, sharing what God's done in her life. Um, but it was also practical. Um, and I would just encourage our friends, as I said, you know, Jamie has been writing a blog for years. Go check out her blogs, grab her book. It just released um, because it, it, it just, it literally like hit on all of these fronts for me. It was practical. It was theologically yep. sound. Um, it was, it was in line with uh, understandings of how the systems work in foster care. And look for me, man, um, I worked in, uh, you know, foster care in California. Um, but as far as like, as a parent, I was never a foster parent, you know, we adopted and you want to talk about a system that doesn't work very well. I mean, welcome to Tanzania department <laughs> yeah, of social exactly. welfare, right? So, so I've, I've seen that in a totally different context. Um, but the opportunity to be a positive cog within that system, right? Like she said, um, to be something that isn't broken, to enhance what children and families and communities are able to do to best serve orphan, vulnerable children, uh, foster children. Um, I think that that's something that God is calling us into. Um, and that may not be as a foster parent, but to definitely mm -hmm. do something that's going to support those kids as they are you know, in that form of care. So, um, man, I, I was honestly blown away by Jamie and just so grateful for the chance that, that I got to sit down and yeah. talk with her. No, I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that some people just write books cause they get commissioned to do it or they write books cause they have a platform and people are saying, Hey, you got to write a book about something. But that's what I loved about it is like, you know, I, I remember talking to Jamie a few years ago, you know, just about, she was looking to get into podcasting and, and we talked about some different things and, and it was great, you know? And then, like you said, I mean, I was, I was blown away too. I was just like, you know, listening and, and it's one thing when you, when you listen to a podcast and, and folks out there, most of you probably don't do a podcast. So you don't know this, but like, I'm normally in the middle of the interview, which I love doing, but there's something about like, listening to the interview to be able to do something like this that you engage it differently and and so that's why and and i'm going to kind of segue I, I don't normally do this but it's actually why when we say engage this with us we really mean it because when you're listening to it and as most of us and i'm not accusing or hopefully it's not hopefully it doesn't come across a guilt trip because it's not but normally i listen to podcasts while i'm working out or while i'm doing something else and I don't take notes and I don't do whatever. And, and sometimes even when I'm listening to an interview for, to, to converse with you, it's not, doesn't happen often because usually we do them together, but all, I won't be fully dialed in and engaged. But when you're taking notes, when you're listening, cause you know, you're going to have a conversation about it. So whether you're doing it to converse with us or whether you listen with a friend or you have conversations about it, it's at a different level. And so I, I, I would encourage you to do that more, not just with this episode. I mean, yes, with this episode, 
I'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to have a conversation with you about it. We'd love to connect you with Jamie if that's what you want to do. And no doubt, like she'd be willing to talk about this stuff and would love to do that. I did say no doubt. I don't know, but I'd be surprised if she's not. Um, but we, we truly love to have conversations about this. Why we do what we do. It's why we're doing this right? We're not looking for massive ratings and we're not, we'd love to have more downloads. Yeah, of course, because that's more impact. But if you're just listening to it to check a box and to say, oh yeah, I want to help you out. Like, look, that's not why we're doing what we're doing. We want to do this because we know it will help you. And the way it's really going to help you is if you're engaging it at the levels that we get to, right? We get to read the books. We get to do these things. Like we, we don't see it as a have to, you know, we talked about that get to versus have to mentality and we get to, and you can tell with Jamie, it's why she does what she does, because she gets to. And she's writing her stuff because she gets to. And she's doing a podcast she gets to. And you told me what her following is on Instagram, which is, you know, a few thousand more than me, tens of thousands more than me. Um, and, but she's not doing, I, I'm guessing she's not doing it for those numbers, right? From what I hear from her, she probably doesn't even know that. And um, she may know it because she got a book deal. So she maybe the, like they asked her. But, Look, most of the people doing what we're doing is not for numbers, is not for platform, is not for anything other than the fact that we're called to be a part of this and we're in it together. So, you know, as I said, yeah, I haven't fostered and I haven't adopted, but look, I'm, I'm in it and it's what God's called me to. Yeah. And I've told people like, I started the adoption process in 2006 and people are like, then why didn't you ever adopt? Well, it's a whole long story that we don't have time to. It's, it was China. That was part of it. So if you've been involved with this, you know, just saying China, 2006. Okay. That, well, that makes sense. But also, so God had me doing different things in this area. And I think that's, that's the point of this. I think it's why God brought me to do the in pursuit of orphan excellence and why God brought me to do think orphan is to remind people that even if you don't adopt and foster, you can be deep in the trenches with people. And so if you're out there in that and you're just, someone pointed you to this episode and said, Hey, listen to this podcast, that may be you. And, you know, reach out to me and let's have a conversation about what it might look like for you. I don't know. But if we have a conversation, I'd love to, you know, tackle that journey and walk alongside you on that journey to figure it out. You know, with Brandon, if, if you empathize yeah. with Brandon and you're in that, but then reach out, James. So folks, I, I just, I, I yeah. want to remind you of that because um, I just, I, I just love what I get to do and what I love more or more than just get being able to give this information to you is when you engage it and you call me and we start a friendship and a relationship like Brandon and I have been able to do when he called me from Tanzania and we had a, we had a zoom call back in probably 16, right? Right after it started. And we've become not only good friends, but co-hosts and you know, working together and collaborating on different things. And it's, it's awesome, right? That's what the kingdom's all about. It's good, man. So good, dude. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of collaboration and reaching out, you know, there were a number of, uh, of recommendations, you know, that, that Jamie shared, right. And, and you talk about like, why did we go into this? She said, man, I read yeah. Radical by David Platt, which I've read that book. Mm -hmm. It's a great book. Right. Um, and she's like, man, God compelled me. Right. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. I actually really appreciate her perspective and sharing even on her husband's experience, right? Um, but it's, it's recognizing, look, God's calling me to play a part. And it's not foster care and adoption for everyone. Um, and she had some really great recommendations for you know, people to kind of think through. So uh, on that note, uh, as, we, uh, as we 
move to conclusion of this uh, episode, which was just so great. We talked about Ukraine. We talked about uh, what Jamie was was bringing to us. But before we close, man, you got you got a recommendation for us by chance, Phil? Yeah, people are like, oh, great. Phil's going to have another soapbox moment right now because I've had a couple on this episode already. <laughs> so, you know, folks, you know me, I'm a little passionate about things. So I don't ever, I, I sometimes apologize it, but I don't really mean it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, she, she talked about Jason, who's our great friend. I don't want to speak for you, but he's a, he's a, well, I'll say he's a great friend of mine. I don't know if he'd say I'm a, I don't know he's if he'd friend. say I'm a great friend of his, but you know, I, I know that, you know, I, I consider him a great friend and he had, you know, we, we were fortunate, uh, as I said, Lisa Qualls, fortunate to have her on a conversation, Jason, fortunate to have him on a conversation. I don't remember the exact numbers, but somewhere in the hundreds, I think Jason was right around 118. If I got that right, folks, you know, reach out to me and, and we'll give me some kudos for that. Um, Lisa was probably in the one thirties or one forties, but I really appreciate them. And Jason's book, uh, everybody can do something or everyone can do something. I forget exactly what it's called. It's a fantastic book. It's what we talked about in that interview, but it also goes to the work he's doing for CAFO, which is church development. So, um, as far as orphan care ministries and really being able to help your church to be able to dive deeper into these things. And so I think that that is what I'm going to recommend right now is just get to know Jason. Um, and the work that, that God's doing through him. And he's just a brother who got into this as a pastor who similarly was captured. His heart was captured just by this work and by what it can do. And he now has several foster kids and, and he's, he's living it and he's loving well. And he's a guy who is very soft-spoken, um, but he's a lion when he, when he uh, starts doing stuff. And, uh, and I love that about him. Um, and I'm just super encouraged by him. And so that's, you know, honestly, like it's what I tell people when they ask, you know, do you, do you enjoy what you're doing? I absolutely love what I get to do because the people we get to work with are amazing people. And they're, they're not like Jason's probably one of the biggest names in this space. And he's a humble dude who knows his source and knows that, look, God's just put him in a place at a time to do certain things. And that's, what I think most people in our, in this space do. Right. And that's what I love is it's not airs. It's not, Oh, I have a bigger platform that you, than you, then therefore I'm like, most people don't know out of the space. People don't know who Jason is. People don't know who Jamie is. People don't know who you are. People don't know who I am. And that, and that's great. Right. Cause it's not about us. I love, I love that. I, I listened to um, a sermon this morning, Matt Chandler and, and he goes, and he said something again, and I'll recommend this too, a beautiful design. I'm going through it with my men's group right now. It's a series Matt Chandler did back in 2016. Phenomenal village church in Dallas. But he said, he goes, look, here's something I'm going to say, and I'll say it to you folks, and, and it'll be a good reminder. He said, it's not popular. He said, you're not the point. And, and, but we want to be the point. Like he goes, when I go home, I want to be the point. I want to be the point for my wife. I want to be the point for my kids, but I'm not the point. And we're not the point. And that's freeing. And that's, it's exhilarating when we know we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So folks, if you don't know what I mean by that, let's have a conversation about it. Um, and, uh, but, but those, those resources, look, you, you can't go wrong with stuff that Jason puts out there. You can't go wrong with um, just diving into it and really being able to understand how you can engage deeper with your church. So I'll stop with that. And, uh, you know, as, as always, you know, Brandon and I, we're doing this to help you understand deeper these, these issues. We're, we're doing this to help you to be better leaders, 
to be better in everything that you're doing. And we're doing this with the hope and the prayer that you'll take everything that you're learning and you'll use it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.